Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. ESG Energized audience, today we are talking to Dr. Megan Pearl. She's the Vice President of Technology at Locus Bioenergy. Locus Bioenergy. What the heck is that, Megan? Ah, thank <laughs> and you. welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, <laughs> Delfina. Uh, so Locus, Bi- at Locus Bioenergy, you focus on delivering high-performing uh, chemicals into the oil field for any sort of any problem that the oil field has. Anything from promoting oil f- production um, to cleaning out vessels to making your acidizing jobs more efficient. Um, we've probably got a solution for you. Huh. Okay. So how long have you guys been doing this? Yeah, so we've been, Locust Bioenergy has been around since 2017. Um, in the beginning, we spent a lot of our early uh, years focusing on, or our early time focusing on understanding how to use this new fancy biosurfactant that our parent company, Locust Fermentation Solutions, actually produces. Um, biosurfactants are sort of new, a new concept in our industry, mainly because they've been cost prohibitive for use um, historically. Um, and scale up of biosurfactants through fermentation has also historically been very difficult. But we have developed a patented process that allows us to bring these uh, materials up to uh, scale at economical price points for oil field. But then the question was, okay, now we can make this cool thing. How do we use this cool thing? Um, and okay, so, so let me let mm-hmm. me interrupt you just for a second, Megan, because um, I love this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think what we might need to do is take one step back mm-hmm. and explain to my audience, forget the bio in front of the surfactant. <laughs> yeah. What are surfactants, right? So where my interest and the reason why I was excited to talk to you was you put the bio in front of the surfactant and that's right, like yeah. cool, right? Yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. like next next level, next gen. That's, you know, we're innovating for the future. This is the ESG Energized podcast. So just stop uh-huh. for one second, mm-hmm. rewind mm-hmm. and explain to those that may be listening that have no idea what a surfactant is. Yeah. So uh, in in general, surfactants are used across all areas of our lives, not just in oil and gas. So think about uh, when you wash your dishes at home or when you wash your hair, those are surfactants, okay? Um, And you can think about the sort of properties that we use in those activities where we're creating bubbles, we're trying to remove oil and grease, um, Uh, Those kinds of attributes are the same reason we use surfactants in oil and gas. Um, We use them in order to, in in some cases, help oil flow better out of a well. So if you want to think in very simplistic terms, we make the rock slippery, right? So that the oil wants to come easily off of the surface of the rock and come up to the surface where we can make money from it, right? Um, surfactants are used for many, many things, but I like to think of them as, <clears throat> I had a, my college girlfriends, I had a girls weekend a few weekends ago with my college girlfriends, and one is a nurse, 
at Mayo Clinic, and the other okay. is an analyst at a packaging group, a packaging company. Um, and so they have no clue what I do. And so they're asking me, well, they asked me the same question, what is a surfactant, right? And the way, <laughs> the way I described it to them was, you know, these are people without scientific backgrounds. And I said, well, if you think about a surfactant as a big molecule, and it has one arm that really likes water, and one arm that really likes oil, and it creates a bridge between the oil and the water to help you do things like move oil off of surfaces that it doesn't want to move off of. Um, so and when we're seeing those mm-hmm. commercials on TV of mm-hmm. the little duck that's in stuck in the oil slick. Yes, yes. At, right, right? Yeah, this exactly. Is what you're telling us. That's yes. how we get the oil off the little duck. Yes, that's how we get it out of the well, too. <laughs> <laughs> We just do it with less okay. bubbles in oil field. That's that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I that's awesome. And so did did your girlfriends get oh, it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. They they got it. And then not only did they get it when we were having the conversation, but a week later, one of them called me to say, you know what? Um, I was at dinner with my kids and one of them spilled something on my dress. And when I went home, I had to use surfactant to get that <laughs> spill off of my dress. And I felt so much smarter knowing I was using surfactant <laughs> and not just soap. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at you and they said, Megan, that's why you've got the doctor in front of your face. <laughs> yeah. Your name, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So now that the audience is, we're all on board, we're all getting it. I mean, half my audience is going, Delfina, we know that. But the other half uh-huh. of my audience is going, oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So now that we got that, what, what, bring us back to the bio in front of the surfactant. So yeah. I interrupted you because mm-hmm. I was, it was important for us to get to that point. Yeah, so absolutely. Put the bio in front of the surfactant. What's new? What's different mm-hmm. that, that you, that you guys are doing? Okay. So let's, let's go back to surfactant. How do we make surfactants, right? We take chemical components in a lab and we combine them together through a synthesis reaction of some sort to make a target Mm -hmm. molecule, which acts as a surfactant. A lot of these chemical components that we start with, these raw materials, are based from fossil fuel-based, okay? So their origins Mm -hmm. go back to something that relates to fossil fuels. Um, So what we do with biosurfactants is we, these are materials or molecules that are naturally produced, They do not rely on fossil fuel inputs. Um, These are naturally occurring materials. Uh, Our particular biosurfactant is made through fermentation, kind of like how you would ferment beer, okay? Although you probably don't want to just go and drink our biosurfactant, okay? It doesn't taste as tasty (laughs) as beer. Although I've had some pretty nasty beer, so I don't know. Yeah, Um, you never know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we use, it's a fermentation process that uses yeast, Um, sugar and canola oil in our case. And we're able to produce these biosurfactants through this process. Um, Although we have the word bio in front of us, there's a common misconception that bio equals alive or living organism. And in our case, it does not equal living organism. These are molecules, just like any other type of, of, of synthetic molecule that was made in a lab. These are molecules uh-huh. made by a bug in, through a fermentation process. Okay. So forgive the question, but is are there a number of companies 
that are making biosurfactants? I mean, how pervasive is this? Because mm-hmm. in all honesty, Megan, I did not know that biosurfactants existed mm-hmm. un- until I came across you. Yeah. I was intrigued. Yeah. So are there, is this, is this broadly known? Yeah. So am I in a, in a vacuum? No, you are not in a vacuum. Um, <laughs> the, the concept of biosurfactant is a little, is still new. Um, or I'll say green, right. In the sense of yeah, new and yeah. novel within oil and gas, um, biosurfactants okay. themselves have been used across other industries for many decades. So the concept of biosurfactant itself for industrial or consumer use is not necessarily new. Um, if you take one step back from a biosurfactant, there's also bio-based surfactants, okay? Bio-based surfactants are still molecules that are made synthetically in a laboratory setting or a production uh, manufacturing facility. But instead of fossil fuel-based inputs, they use raw materials that come from other industries like ag. So the raw materials themselves are considered to be more renewable, okay? But they're still right. combined chemically in a lab that's not made through a natural process. So within oil and gas, there has been a shift. A few people are focusing on bio-based chemistries. Mainly, they're, they're a little bit easier to produce because you're just changing your starting material. You're not changing your whole production process, okay? So right. they can fit into manufacturing processes that happen today a little bit easier than something like our product, a biosurfactant, which requires a fermentation setup. Um, so All right. are there other people doing this? Um, within the industry, there are, we are the leaders in biosurfactant-based technologies, um, and we do not see strong competition to date in that. There are some other players who play in the bio-based um, sort of regime, uh, but we are the only biosurfactant company uh, right now focused on oil and gas. Okay. So good. I feel better. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that I haven't been living under a rock. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what reaction are you getting from the industry and what, what's the adoption looking mm-hmm. like? Are we, are we struggling? Are we making headway? And of course, that's all good. I'm going to, I'm going to follow up whatever your answer is to, with, tell us about how you're, you're doing this, testing this out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. So the first portion of that question is what is the reaction in the industry? I think this is, this is an incredibly relevant question for everyone, especially for this particular discussion, because we're on ESG Energized podcast, right? That's right. Yes. And so I would (laughs) love to tell you that the industry as a whole is craving environmentally friendly chemistry to help reduce their carbon footprint, to help improve their operations, um, to be more environmentally friendly. Honestly, it is not the case. We are not there yet. When people think about how am I going to improve my carbon footprint, they think of the big sexy things like carbon capture, right? And those are great. And those are going to do wonderful things, but they take so long to implement. And they're so Mm -hmm. expensive, right? So is it going to help you today? Probably not. It's not going to move the needle today. It's a long-term investment that you have to make. All of those big sexy things, they're sexy because they sound cool, but they're not going to help us where we are right now. Um, And so 
one way, one area that is not commonly thought of is chemistry. And we use mm-hmm. chemicals across all of oil field in oh, all yeah. different ways to solve all kinds of problems. And it's really the unspoken hero in a lot of operations. My entire career has been focused on chemicals in oil field, and it has been a battle for 12 years. Um, trying to convince people of the importance of not only the right chemistry, but the right dosage for your application. So what we want to do in Locust Bioenergy is we want to offer the highest performing chemicals that we can that are biosurfactant based, okay? But our emphasis is on performance, not necessarily green, okay? With that said, we are positioning ourselves at the front of that Uh, ESG revolution, when the industry finally catches up, when the industry is finally ready to say, hey, you know what? I really want better chemicals. I want chemicals that are green that are going to do the job. We're going to be there at the front of that line, okay? Part of what we have going against us is that there was um, a wave of sort of green chemistry maybe 10 years ago, okay, in the oil field. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a small wave, and it was small because I think it was highly misunderstood in in how to apply it, how to test it, how to formulate it with it. And as a result, what happened is that the people who tried it were left with the impression that, uh, well, green means low-performing and high-cost, right? Yeah. And that was true back then. It is not true anymore. And so we have to sort of change the way people see and think about green chemistry. Um, But right now we just focus on high performing products. And then we say, oh yeah, guess what? There's like a green aspect to them. Yeah. So we've, it's really interesting that we're having this, this type of discussion yet again, because as you can imagine, I'm having discussions around these topics continuously. And just, was it yesterday? My days are just running together. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just yesterday, the day before I was at the operational excellence conference and it's not, that was not a green conference. Mm -hmm. That was not a renewable energy conference. Mm -hmm. It was around operational excellence and a pervasive, uh, remark that was being made amongst the, the participants was that Improving your efficiency in operations, doing things faster, mm-hmm. better, to pr- is yeah. contributing to the environmental and social as- uh, goals that we're all striving towards. So mm-hmm. y- here you are again making that same point. And then the week before that, I was at Women Offshore and having that same discussion <laughs> with two innovators in this space yeah. on focusing on things that we that are not only innovative that pr- that reduce that improve operational efficiency but we can do them now yeah. we don't have to invest mm-hmm. hundreds of millions billions mm-hmm. in technologies that are mm-hmm. going to take years to pan out i think yes. that message that you just delivered was so important megan so important okay so give me some examples give me some examples of uh field tests that you yeah. guys have done or full blown projects that you have in place yeah. lay it on me all right so um <clears throat> 
since we've started selling product within Locust Bioenergy, um, we've sold uh, over 2 million gallons of chemical into the oil field. Okay. Um, okay. Our recent focus has been on our sustained product line, which is for targeted for hydraulic fracturing, right? So think about when you're drilling a new well, people use mm-hmm. surfactants to help promote mm-hmm. the oil flow out of that yep. well. Okay. Um, and yep. so we, we're focused on, on that area. And a huge recent win for us was in the Northeast, where Uh, an operator was looking to, for a new surfactant package for a new area they were going to drill. And they put uh, a call out to a lot of people like, Hey, we're going to, you know, you can bid, you can submit your surfactant and we can see if we like it. Um, And so as part of this process, we were able to get some representative field samples. Um, We did some testing in our laboratory to identify of our current products which product and which dosage rate was the best uh, performer or the best option for getting to mobilize that oil. We submitted that surfactant along with um, 11 other companies who submitted to this. Um, And without knowing who they all were, I I would guess we were for sure the smallest company to submit, right? Um, And then they sent all of those to a third-party lab for external testing and out of that external testing, we were the top performer, or we were the best in terms of both performance and cost. So we checked all of those boxes, and, and it was really, um, I guess, satisfying for me because yeah. what I tell our team to focus on when we develop new chemical chemistries, um, I say, you know, we always need to focus on price and performance, and it has to be a balance. Our industry is so cost-driven that if oh gosh, you yes. if you don't have the right sticker price, the conversation ends, even if you have the best product on the planet. Um, yeah. And so we have to get in the door with an attractive price, and then we have to blow their socks off with exceptional performance. And we did just that. And our chemistry was deployed across 11 wells in the Northeast. Um, we don't have the results yet because in, in hydraulic frack, you have to wait like, you know, a year in order to like really yeah, make yeah. a conclusion. This surfactant yeah. worked well, but the initial feedback was, you know, they were, it was easy to deploy our chemistry, which also was very satisfying because that's another thing we strive. We want our chemistry to feel, um, and look, feel like the chemistry that people are using today so that it's an easy replacement. Uh, yeah. but we want it to act totally different. Right. Um, and right. the initial feedback told us that, hey, this was easy to deploy. Um, Initial response from the well was great. We think that we have more production, but we need to wait and see. Huh. Wow. And you you said that it was satisfying. Oh yeah. Here, here's another, (laughs) here's another incredibly satisfying thing that happened recently. Um, we had the opportunity to speak with a, a large operator. Um, they came to my facility and the first thing this man said to me is we currently use a surfactant. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I, I don't believe in surfactants. Okay. I spent an hour and a half with him, talking to him, showing him our technology, showing him our data in the lab and in the field. And by the time he left, he said, give me a quote for your product and I want to put it on our wells. What a huge win to change his mind entirely. Yes. (laughs) Maybe we're doing doing some of that here today. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Educating people, engaging them, energizing them. 
for for this these types yes. of, of innovations that that we're seeing mm-hmm. and, and that mm-hmm. we can get done now. Okay, so I've got to ask. I have just got to ask. You clearly are excited about this stuff. You <laughs> you are clearly this you're just living your best life right now. Did did you always wanted want to be a what are you a chemical engineer? Uh, I'm a, a, a chemist, a scientist. You're a chem- mm-hmm. So were, was this a little girl that used to play with a little, you know, science kit and had her own little microscope and that sort of thing? What is, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I never dreamed of being a scientist. <laughs> um, my first career aspiration was when I was in second grade and I wanted to illustrate children's books. And then I learned, hmm, I can't draw. So maybe I can't, maybe I can't illustrate the books, but I'll write children's books. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I've always been very passionate about writing and uh, storytelling and and all of that. Um, And when I was in high school, um, I thought I was going to do something like English or psychology or something like that when I went to college. But what happened is uh, in homeroom in high school, my homeroom teacher was actually the chemistry teacher. So I was in the, the chemistry class for homeroom. And students who were in other homerooms during that time would come in and they would ask me to edit their English reports and their all of their writing reports, okay? And I did that. And, and this teacher saw this about me and, and he knew that I was a very good science student as well. And he said to me, Megan, this is very unique, this desire mm-hmm. to, you know, edit and, and the connection with English, but also that scientific ability that you have. I really think that you should do something like science writing. And so that dream was born for me like, oh, I'm going to edit a science journal. This is going to be great, right? In order to do that, I need to have a master's in science writing. This is what I thought at the time. I have to have a master's in science writing. I didn't know such a writing. thing existed. I, I didn't in either. science writing? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it turns out there are only two programs in the U.S. at the time. This was many years ago. There were only two programs that offered a master's in science writing. And they were highly selective. And the majority of the students already had their Ph.D., So before I even started college, I was like, oh, gosh, darn it. I guess I got to go to college and then I got to go get my Ph.D. so that I can Mm -hmm. go get my master's in science writing. Um, And so I started that process. I went to college for chemistry um, and then I went to graduate school for chemistry and I joined a lab that focused on sort of it was a project I worked on was forensic related to forensic science where I was building a camera to detect invisible blood at crime scenes. Ooh. So cool. It was, I mean, I didn't know it was a dream come true, but it was a dream come true. It was so amazing. Um, And I had no clue that a chemist could do something like that, right? Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. And so- Very cool. Yeah. And, And, you know, here I was doing all of this so that I could be an editor of a journal. Um, But here I am- 12 years later, I bet, you know, I started my first big girl job was an oil field. And now I'm here over a decade later. And you're right. I am. One thing about me is I do, once I understand something, I become incredibly passionate about it. When I started at Locust two years ago, I started not having any clue. Right. I remember my first couple of meetings, I really fumbled through it. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but, but now, um, now I understand it. I love it. 
I believe in it. And I think that's the most critical component is that I believe in it. And that belief makes me passionate. It makes me authentic to our, our customers and to the people that we speak with. And I think that goes a long way. It does. And also the ability, as you just showed here on this show, your ability to explain things in a way that somebody like myself that needs it broken down to you know, like talk to me as, like I'm a third grader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I tell, tell talk to me like I'm a third. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so that you can, and you went back and you even explained to your girlfriends, yeah. right? Yeah. That and they were able to go home yeah. and you know see yeah. it in their own lives. I I think that's incredibly important as well. So I'm gonna touch on one more personal topic. Okay. And then we're gonna bring this right back around okay. to to Locus Bioenergy. You talked about you know, being school and a teacher that recognized your capabilities. How, how are you seeing our efforts with our young ladies in schools in getting them focused on science math based careers? And, you know, how, how are you seeing, are, are we, are we make, are we getting better at it? Yeah, from my perspective, I think we're getting better. Um, when I was, you know, when I was in school so many years ago, we didn't have. I, I'm from a very small farming community in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. We didn't have things. Uh, there was not a lot of diversity. I'll say. Um, mm-hmm. So I did not know all of the career options that were available to me. Today, we do a much better job of going into schools. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. But we do a much better job of going into schools and showing both boys and girls what they can be when they grow up um, and, and showing that all, even though the, the, the world sets glass ceilings for girls, um, that's, that hasn't changed, that we have the ability to break those, to redefine those. Um, they're always going to exist, but we can continuously move them, right? I think that it's very critical. I was just at um, the Greater Houston Women's of Chambers, uh, w- uh, sorry, Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce um, <laughs> wi- Summit for Women. Yeah, it was a mouthful, yeah. Summit for <laughs> Women yesterday. And one of the, it was a full day celebrating, recognizing um, powerful female leaders across all industries. It wasn't geared towards oil and gas. But one thing that they they have is they have a STEAM program for third graders. It focuses on third grade girls to help introduce them to the ideas of science and technology and math. Um, And they had some of those girls there to witness sort of what was going on. And then they got on the stage and they talked about what they learned as part of the STEAM program. So that was so incredibly beneficial for those girls because it will stick with them. Something they didn't even know was possible um, now doesn't seem like it's intangible, right? They can set their dreams starting now. That as little girls, you can be whatever. And, you know, for, you know, I was, I was a competitive cheerleader for 10 years. I cheered in in grade school and high school and college. And as a cheerleader, I remember being on a flight to California one time and the lady next to me was talking to me. I was in graduate school and she's talking or in, in college, she was talking to me about what do you do? And I was like, Oh, I'm in college. What do you study? I study chemistry. And she looked at me like she just could not comprehend it. Hmm. Right. As a woman studying chemistry and the flight to California is five hours. 
So I was wearing contacts at the time. I went, took my contacts off and I put my nerdy glasses on. Right. (laughs) And then when I sat back down, she said, oh, I get it. Right. I was like, seriously. Yeah. But when I told her, yeah, when I told her I'm studying chemistry because of her, her sort of confused, disapproving look, I felt I was seeking the stranger's approval. So I followed Mm. her up with, well, I'm a cheerleader too. She said, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and so I, that was incredibly disappointing. Um, I hope that as a society, we've come further along than that, that you can do something like be a cheerleader and be a scientist. You can be all the things, all the combinations of things that you want to be. And that's up to you. you It's not up to anybody else. Do you have to be a feminist? (laughs) Oh, um, you have to be a feminist by the true definition of feminist, which is, I believe, in equality of sexes, right? I do not believe that uh, people need to, uh, as a woman, I do not want to get be given an opportunity that I do not deserve because I'm a woman and because somebody's trying to meet some, reach some quota, okay? I want to get these opportunities because I am deserving of it, because I have proved that I can do the job. In this particular role that I'm in right now, the vice president of technology at Locust Bioenergy, most people would say, a lot of people actually look at it and they're like, oh, it's because she's a woman. But if you spend 10 minutes with me, you realize that I might be a woman, but I'm also incredibly capable, (laughs) right? And I have this job and I have the success that I have today because of my ability. Not I've earned everything that I've been given. I have fought hard. Have I fought harder than maybe some of my male counterparts? Have I seen discrimination in the workplace at previous employers um, where I felt that I was being passed over when I had more experience than some of my coworkers who happened to be male? Absolutely. Am I often the only woman in the room in conversations? Yep. Has someone looked at me before of equal at an equal position with an equal degree and called me a girl? Yep. Mm-hmm. All Mm -hmm. of that has happened. That has to change. That is not going to change with the idea of what feminism is today, which is um, it elicits a response in people that feminism is bad. Feminism is crazy. Feminists are brawless women running around in the street hating men, right? And that is not true. That is not the reality. The reality is we just want equality. That's right. Well, I can can tell you one thing that has changed dramatically um, since I'm, I'm obviously old enough to be your mother. <laughs> After 44 years in the oil industry, I can tell you the one thing that has changed dramatically is that the uh, discrimination that I experienced, because, you know, it, it just was, mm-hmm. is that it was not hidden. Yeah. It was not hidden. And yeah. it's pe- people would come out, bosses would come right out and tell me to my face that you are not getting this promotion because you are a girl and not that because you're a girl and that because they knew that I was incredibly mm-hmm. capable, but they would say, mm-hmm. you don't have a family to feed. You don't have to be the head of household. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we're going to give the promotion or the pay increases to the men because they have other obligations. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Say what? <laughs> yeah. but, it was it was not hidden, mm-hmm. and 
so yeah, those we're we're making progress. Yeah, we're know, definitely I, making progress. Yes. So, all right. So let me bring this back. I always like to get to know my guests a little bit. Yeah. A little bit more. Um, let's bring this back to this this biosurfactants. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. I really do believe my audience is is going to be intrigued, and they they like to follow up and investigate things. Mm-hmm. They, they get tidbits out of my show and then they go and investigate. And uh-huh. so can we put in the show notes, a link to your organization, to your, to re either research or in somewhere that they can get additional information to learn about this? Yeah, what absolutely. Yeah, put in the show notes? Yeah, if you just do locustbioenergy.com, that'll bring you to our website. You can take a look and learn about all of our different product lines, um, all the different problems that we tackle in the oil industry. Also, there is a blog space there um, where you can check out some articles we have that talk about the difference between biosurfactant and bio-based, um, talk about some recent wins and successes that we've had with applications. Uh, and then there's also our YouTube channel that will be linked on there where you can see some pretty cool videos of how our stuff oh. performs in the lab, at least. Um, okay. it's, you can't really get a video of how what it's doing down in the reservoir, okay? But we've got some pretty <laughs> cool videos of some lab testing. All right. Final word, Megan. What, if anything, what message do you want to leave my audience with? It can be around anything at all. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, As an industry, we crave innovation, but we're scared of the things that we don't understand. I would urge the industry to not just crave innovation, but don't fear it. Try it. Try new things. Um, And if you don't understand, ask. I know that the idea of biosurfactant is brand new in the industry, but that doesn't mean that it has to be scary. Um, It doesn't mean that it, it can be inaccessible to you. Um, and so there are teams of scientists, and I can say this because I am a, a scientist by nature. Um, uh-huh. There are so many brilliant scientists that work in this industry that are pushing the boundaries of, of what is possible. Um, and there are a lot of great new technologies out there that are waiting for adoption. So please reach out to people, learn more, be open to educating and changing your mind, and you might just find the next best thing like Locust Bioenergy and our biosurfactants. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, Thank great. you so much for joining <laughs> us on, on ESG Energized, and I'm sure you're going to be coming back soon on my show. All right, anytime. It was a pleasure. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. <laughs>